it's tuesday january 19th welcome to a new episode of bazaar i'm your host sid and joining me today is rishabh khanna once again because we have another ipo in our hands it's the first ipo of 2021 so rishabh welcome to the show hey siddharth thank you for having me and before we go on and analyze the ipo i would like to wish you and all the listeners a happy new year and hope so 2021 is a great year for bazaar the market as well as bazaar the podcast definitely fingers are crossed and this new year we'll you know continuously keep on producing quality content and let's hope that more people are attracted to it and we continue to serve the audience in the best way so coming back to the ipo that we have today this week we are going to be talking about indian railway finance corporation limited which is an nbfc company which is a it's a financing arm of the ministry of railways and it's the first ipo of 2021 actually two other ipos are also going to be open for subscription in this week itself so that means a hectic week <laughs> yeah it's it's going to be a very busy week for us let's see if we can actually cover that or not so those two companies are indigo paints and home first finance company to talk about irfc at the time of recording the issue was subscribed by 1.2 times and it's actually a very big ipo so they are raising a lot of money we'll we'll talk about that the details in a bit you know like other shows that we've done on ipos uh, we we're going to run this company through several parameters too to understand the business in a better way to gauge the management and how effective the business model is but first rishab tell me about the details of the ipo like you know wh- what's the size of the ipo and how are they going to deploy the money sure so as you said this is a big ipo so the ipo size is of 4633 crores which includes a fresh issue of 3100 crores and the rest is an offer for sale what they have also done is they have uh, reserved a 1400 crores for anchor investors which was subscribed by various financial institutions like uh, government of singapore goldman sachs well renowned insurance companies and this ipo is quite an interesting ipo so we'll get into details of the what the ipo does but according to me out of all the ipos that we have covered this is one of the interesting ipos that has been launched hmm and well i was reading the prospectus the issue the the purpose for which they are raising money is to increase their equity capital base because this company has a lot of debt on its balance sheet i think the debt to equity is more than seven times so to just grow that equity base and also for general corporate purposes like normal business operations so well so that uh, this is actually a very good way of putting that the government wants to divest its stake and uh, they are raising money from the investors so this is a very good uh, way of putting it that they want to launch the ipo for funding their future growth yeah i mean equity increasing the equity capital base is just their way of saying that you know we own we used to own 100% of this company but you know we want to get some money out of it because obviously the government also has disinvestment plans on a yearly basis they have plans to raise money so i agree with you that they've not mentioned this anywhere but the government is raising money through this 
and uh, this ipo was actually supposed to be launched in feb 2020 so if the pandemic had not happened you would have got this ipo last year but they had to postpone it to uh, now just because of the pandemic so they had plans since feb 2020 and they are launching this now because obviously the markets are still i don't know like when are they going to crash i i was waiting for the previous 3 months but the markets don't seem to go down so this is the best time to bring an ipo and to uh, you know dilute your holdings and exactly the market made a new high <laughs> in past 3 months yeah and 46 <clears throat> billion is a lot of money i mean normally the ipos that i'm seeing they're normally raising around 6 to 7 billion but this is like five times that size so a lot of money is being raised to this issue and this actually means that investors might <laughs> have a chance of getting allotment so normally we are just starved you know normally we don't get allotment but this is such a huge ipo that any retail investor who is investing might actually have a chance of getting allotment and you know before we dive deeper into the parameters i think it's very important to understand some background about the company and the industry that it operates in and the company has been operational for quite some time isn't it yes that definitely so just to give you a background of the company the company as you said is the financing arm of indian railways it was established in the year 1986 it is actually classified as an nbfc and under nbfc under infrastructure finance company so whatever the requirements are of rbf or nbfcs is applicable to this company this company is as i said a public financial institution and is also a mini ratna company going back to the business what the company does is it supplies rolling stocks now what are rolling stocks rolling stocks are coaches wagons to the indian railways and they also fund infrastructure assets for railways as well as uh, railway focused companies and interestingly while i was researching what a rolling stock means it's it's very simple anything that rolls on a wheel it's, it's a rolling stock and the company is providing a finance lease like it provides rolling stock on finance lease to the ministry of railways and a lot of its affiliates isn't it yes that so it is a very simple way of putting it but yeah rolling stock is a term which is normally used in the railway industry which means uh, locomotives coaches uh, wagons and all which are used by the indian railways for supplying freight or passengers mm. and i think the business model is pretty straightforward i mean the ministry of railways whenever it needs money it tells irfc to arrange it IRFC then raises funds through various sources like tax-free bonds, term loans, and uh, external commercial borrowings, and also a lot of other sources. And how it makes money is basically the spread between the money that it borrows and the interest that it earns from the Ministry of Railways through the finance lease that it gives and the infrastructure projects that it finances. So that is the profit that IRFC makes, and. you know now let's move on to the parameters so what we normally do is we break down a company's competitive advantage and the competition that it faces but irfc is actually a monopoly it operates it it's the only player in the market and the ministry of railway is the only customer so because irfc is so closely linked to the indian railways i think it makes sense that we first look at the industry metrics you know the growth of the industry before we dive into the fundamentals so 
you know from that perspective i i think the government is obviously spending a lot of money and what do you what do you think about the growth of the indian railways and the ancillary industries so sadat as you mentioned this is where the ipo gets interesting as you said the company has only one customer that is indian railways and coming back to understanding the company we'll have to first understand the market which is the indian railways market so indian railways as you know is a humongous network it ranks among the top railway networks in almost every parameter that you can think of the only parameter that indian railway lags on is profitability and the depth of railway coaches per million passengers so that is how the indian railways is positioned which is the most important metric i mean profitability at the end of the day is in in my opinion it's the most important parameter so yeah so this is something which the government has tried achieving it since a very long time but has been unsuccessful in achieving it that is profitability hmm. and what about the capacity levels of the indian railways very interesting point here to be noted is the prospectus itself mentions that most of the indian railway infrastructure was prepared during the british era times so if an infrastructure is so old that it was prepared before independence it would require regular maintenance it would require a lot of upgradation just on the capacity utilization around 60% of the routes that indian railway operates in operates at 100% or more capacity so that is how strained the current railway infrastructure is so indian railways has projected to spend around 1600 billion rupees for the fiscal year 2020 so obviously that is a very huge ask and for that they'll require the funds so how do they raise their funds they raise their funds to gross budgetary support that is known as gbs internally generated funds they enter into public private partnerships and whatever is the deficit uh, is given to IRFC and they have the responsibility to raise funds for the Indian Railways. On an average, IRFC is responsible for raising around forty odd percentage of their total requirement for upgradation of the railway infrastructure. And just a small fact: around ninety percent of the locomotives are financed by IRFC. So that is how much the Indian Railways is dependent upon IRFC. the indian rail network is in a need to grow whether it be on the freight side or on the passenger side both require an overall and irfc will play a major role in financing the indian railways needs i definitely agree i mean the budgetary support has been you know provided to the indian railways for as long as i can you know look back but it is still massively underdeveloped i, I don't want to you know take a political throw at anyone here because this is a business podcast but even after allocating so much money to the indian railways still a lot of work needs to be done to grow this segment and i've been in india for the past 8 years and i have seen a slow and gradual improvement in the railway sector in india so i'm not saying that you know no improvement is being made but we are still miles behind if you compare our railway network with other developed countries like russia europe us you know we're still very behind when we compare ourselves to those developed nations and uh, one interesting statistic about the indian railways is that it derives 2/3 of its revenues from freight which utilizes 1/3 of the railway capacity and the rest 1/3 of revenues are generated from passenger travel which utilizes 2/3 of the rail capacity so you know this is exactly the reason why indian railways is not making a profit because they are not able to manage their capacity in a way in a optimal way the the segment which is making more money for them it's not utilized at a optimum level 
definitely siddharth so this all comes down to the pricing power that indian railways have as railways has been the primary mode of transport for majority of indians their pricing power is not available on the passenger side on the freight side they do have a certain amount of flexibility because they supply a lot of natural resources or agriculture commodities through the railway route but there the competition is with other modes of transport so that is why the freight mode is more profitable as compared to the passenger side yeah and like you mentioned you know most routes are over utilized i mean they are running at greater than 100% capacity and the government will obviously have to expand that network because they realize that freight is making money so they will have to expand they have to roll down more railway lines produce more locomotives more wagons and like you mentioned the capital expenditure requirement of 1610 billion dollars you know that's a big amount out of which i think around 580 billion will be raised from irfc so irfc finances the majority of the rolling stock assets so from that point of view i would say that the industry is definitely growing irfc would benefit from such expansion and you know talking about benefits we normally break down the company's competitive advantage and its competitors like i mentioned at the start of the show but irfc is special in the sense that it's a monopoly and the ministry of railway is the only customer so what we'll do is i think a better way of looking is the advantages and the risks that this company faces so rishab what do you think are the advantages that irfc has at this moment so the first advantage that you have already mentioned is monopoly so whatever uh, financing demand that the indian railways has they'll come back to irfc and they'll raise the funds from the market and supply it to the indian railways so that is something which is there they, they don't have any direct competition the other benefit that comes from a monopoly is and being backed by the government is a great credit rating now this is very important for an nbfc because this lowers their cost of credit and provides them with the ability to provide the indian railways funding at mm-hmm. low cost another interesting point and advantages for the company is that the company does not have any nps so for explaining the other advantage that the company has i'll kind of explain you how the transaction with indian railways works the company enters into a standard lease agreement with the indian railways and the duration for this agreement is 30 years on an average the company adopts a cost plus model so what happens is for the first 15 years the company will add the cost of funding that they had to raise the money add a margin to it and they will uh, require lease payments from the indian railways and for the next 15 years they take a nominal charge from the indian railways that gets paid to them and the indian railways has the option to acquire the asset from them after 15 years and up till 30 years so due to the standard lease agreement that they have with the indian railways that specifies that whatever may be the risk be it liquidity risk be it damage to the asset is to be borne by the indian railways if the company faces any crunch in their funding that has to be financed by the indian railways so the company is protected from all sides by indian railways and this acts as a major beneficiary and a major advantage to the business model of the company and as a result of this model the other benefit that the company has is no nps the government does not default on paying them the lease payments yeah i mean i remember that we were talking this pre show that if you actually look from a macro perspective irfc is a government company the ministry of railways is it's the government itself so this is sort of like a intercompany transaction that's happening between irfc and the ministry of railways and 
the money is just going from one pocket to the other so there's there's no like from a government's point of view it's one and the same it doesn't make a difference so siddharth just to support the point that you have given the irfc acts as like an outsource funding department of the indian railways and to support it the strength the permanent employees of irfc is only 24 employees just imagine the company has only 24 permanent employees so which is like at at a scale at which irfc is functioning like imagining only 24 employees is is you have to compare it with the parent company to which it finances that is the largest employer of uh, employees in the world and you have one company which is a government company that has only 24 employees yeah which actually complements the point that we are trying to say that it's it's basically just acting like a outsourced company and from a macro perspective it doesn't really matter like it's a intercompany transaction but yeah i mean if you're a retail investor you would be interested in knowing the future prospects of irfc and you know the lease arrangement also is very curious i mean it's it's very intriguing the way that works because the ministry of railways actually pays all the interest and principal amount within the 15 years so why do you even need another 15 years that's something i i was just wondering about like if the entire interest and principal repayment is done within the first 15 years why do you want to stretch it but i don't know i mean uh, i don't have the answer to that and you know i also agree that all the risks are minimized one more thing is that all the in- interest rate fluctuations and foreign currency movements also will be factored in the cost of funds over which the company will charge a margin so all those fluctuations the foreign currency fluctuations everything will be factored in and there's no chance that the company is going to make loss on the funds that it uh, gives to the ministry of railways so from that perspective you know the business model is extremely low risk and you know no npas like you mentioned but i i want to take a different view here that even after having a monopoly you know they can only charge a incremental margin of 40 bips for financing rolling stock assets i mean you could say that even after having a monopoly like that's not a lot of purchasing power this is one of the major problems with the company uh, the company has a monopoly now the benefits of a monopoly to companies are that they can dictate the pricing here the company does not enjoy that liberty the pricing of the company the margin that the company will charge is decided with consultation from the ministry of railways so the ministry of railways every year says that you are allowed to charge uh, around 40 bips for financing rolling stock assets or 35 bips for financing project assets and this has been showing a downward trend where it used to be around 50 bips so this in spite of being a monopoly they do not dictate their pricing yeah and apart from that i think one major risk is also that you know the government is pushing for private investment and private partnerships so those might not actually choose irfc as its preferred mode of financer right for understanding this we'll have to understand the functioning of the railways and the situation that railways is currently in as we were discussing the railways is not in a great situation if you compare it on a profitability basis now this has been the trend not only in india not only in developing nations but also in the developed nations they would like the private sector to participate in it just to give you an example compare sectors like airlines compare sectors like telecom these public utilities the government wanted to open it to private players and slowly move away from providing the services to governing how these services are provided in the country so the government does not want to be the provider of service they want to be 
governing the standards of how the service is provided now one of the major hiccups that the government has faced is that it has not been possible in the railway sector in particular they have tried multiple times but they have failed continuously however they have again taken a shot of attracting private investment into the sector where we might have heard reports that they plan to open 150 routes for the private sector which although constitutes only 5% of the railway traffic but it is at such a low level that 5% will also be huge for the indian railways and a point to be noted here sadat is the proposal that was issued to a uh, private players does not mention that they have to lease the assets from indian railways they can lease the assets from indian railways which in turn will lease it from irfc or they can find another financer and finance the acquisition of assets through them so it is not going to be a monopoly uh, if private players enter and the government does not extend the support of irfc to these players and if the government extends this support the problem of nps may arise because railways is a very capital intensive business with a long gestation period you are looking at 25 30 years just to come to profit terms and just to give an example the indian railways are still not been able to maintain profitability on a continuous basis yeah i mean i think going forward the allocation to the private players i think should increase for the betterment of the indian railways and once that happens there's no guarantee that you know they'll raise money from or finance their assets from irfc so that is a risk and i think the biggest risk for any company is customer concentration and in this case you know the company has only one customer which is the ministry of railways that limits the growth i mean the company will grow only as much as the ministry of railways wants to expend so let's imagine that you know next year the budget or the capital expenditure requirement falls down i mean that would be a direct impact on the revenues of the company so you know that's a big risk so much for having a monopoly and like you mentioned the they can't even dictate the pricing they don't have any pricing power so a good metric to look at for determining that is the net interest margin and that has fallen uh, the net interest margin was 1.83% in 2018 which has dropped to 1.38% in 2020 so and i mean if you look at it the the pricing is going down i mean the margins are falling down even after having a monopoly which is you know not a good indicator for the company also what investors need to understand is that the objectives of a government company might not always be in the best interest of the shareholder so for example let's say tomorrow if the indian railways faces severe issues i mean they have some cash crunch or anything and it's and it's actually making a loss i mean indian railways is making a loss so it could very well tell irfc that you know we want to drop the margin from 40 bips to 30 bips and you know the company can't do anything about it they have to accept it so for the government as a whole money is just going from point a to point b and money ultimately stays with the government but from a retail investment point of view for a retail investor you know that would be the company would lose money irfc would lose money so the fact that it's a monopoly could actually make it more inefficient actually without competition where would you get the drive to innovate as well so i i also feel that being a monopoly and a government company that does Uh, impact the innovation and the efficiency levels of the company so you know moving on to our next parameter which is financials uh, how do the numbers look so so that the 
rate at which the revenue has risen the assets have risen or the profitability has risen has been tremendous these figures are in the high double digits so you are talking in the range of 20 30 40% so the re- <laughs> revenues and profitabilities have increased at such a high percentage a part of the increase in the profitability can be attributed to the tax benefits that have been provided to them however as you have already mentioned a key parameter to look here at is the net interest margin for any nbfc that is the most critical factor it has been showing a downward trend that has been predominantly as we have discussed on the reduced spread that the government is providing to the company other important factors and ratios that we have to look at is as we have discussed the debt to equity ratio now the company has an internal threshold of debt to equity ratio of 10 currently it is at 9 so it raising funds kind of gels well so that the debt equity mix can be resetted to an acceptable level mm. as i have already said that it is an nbfc it has to be governed by the capital adequacy norms the capital adequacy requirement for this nbfc is 15% and it has beaten it by leaps and bounds the capital adequacy ratio is close to 300 to 400% so the capital adequacy ratio poses no problems to the company so as we have discussed the financials look good the only thing uh, that is concerning the company is the cag has flagged off some transactions some uh, accounting of a few transactions that has been in deliberation and in they have gone to the icf for consultations in the last 3 to 4 years another important ratio that is important for an nbfc is the return on assets now for this company as the predominant objective of this company is not to earn a profit but to provide uh, funding to the indian railways the return of asset is very low at 1.5% to be precise which is a very low number i mean which basically means that for every 100 rupees of asset that it deploys it's only making 1.5 rupees the revenue and the profit numbers might be looking very good but the a reason for that is because also the ministry of railways has increased its capital expenditure leading to a greater financing that they have taken from irfc so if let's say for example if the capital expenditure did not increase then i think irfc would be caught in a in a fix because the revenue growth and the profit growth would then be stagnant and i was actually taken aback by looking at the debt to equity ratio number but given that it's a nbfc business it's it's mostly it tends to be very high and to quote some numbers so revenue has grown by 20% year on year for the past 2 years which is pretty impressive given that the revenue base of which it is growing is also quite big profit has grown by 50% year on year numbers look good but if you if you look at the return on average total assets like you mentioned which is an indicator of how efficiently the company is using its assets it's very low and uh, that is a red flag like if if you're an investor and if you see a company having such a low return on assets i mean that's a red flag you know that does tell you that the company is not efficiently utilizing its assets i'm not surprised <laughs> i mean it's a government company this is why return ratios are so important because absolute numbers can fool you so something to look at before you take a decision to buy the company you know moving on to our last parameter which is valuation so from that perspective how would you evaluate the company so sadat on the valuation parameters the company trades at around 8p and around close to 1 book value uh, now this numbers seem pretty 
cheap the company kind of seems very extremely cheap on these parameters but we have to take in mind that historically even if you look at today 80% of the psus trade at very low valuations and this is all on account of the inefficiencies that the each government company is facing whether you take it pfc or whether you take it any government company the price to book is below or around 1 and uh, as we have already discussed the return on assets for this company is very low the primary objective of the company is not to earn a profit so these ratios look cheap but are completely justified yeah i mean uh, talking about government companies for a layman it would look very cheap like if you were just to look it from a layman's perspective the price to equity and the price to book would look very cheap but there's a very strong reason behind it the reason is that government companies will not offer you a breakneck speed like a tech company you know these these are steady businesses and these are dividend paying companies for example irfc has been paying dividends since 1991 so you know these companies appeal to investors who are looking for a steady rate of return those are the investors who would be interested in these companies i mean if you're looking from a capital gains perspective i i would not keep my hopes very high from irfc or for that matter from any government company but i would say that the market has priced it correctly and it's not cheap i mean even if the price to equity is eight times or even if the price to book is one i do believe that the market has priced it correctly given the efficiency given the growth and uh, let's wrap it up rishabh what would be your recommendation for the stock and how do things look from a listing gains perspective for for people who are looking to pull out their money on the first or second day so looking it from the uh, listing in perspective which is purely a function of demand and supply here the ipo size is big the gray market premium is also not that exciting the investor if he gets an allotment could look at listing gains in the range of 10 to 20% but he cannot expect any stellar listing gains of like burger king or mrs becker or any of the previous ipos looking at the future the main point that works against the company is that it does not function to earn a profit but it functions to provide funding to the indian railways they don't have control over their profitability and they have to depend on whatever the margins that the government decides so from a long term perspective the investment in the railway sector is bound to increase that is for sure but the margins for this company is bound to decrease so from a long term perspective it kind of looks like the investor may be able to get this stock at a cheap price and could wait for some time just to see how the company pans out how does the growth actually work out and how much are the margins contracted so for investors looking to invest in the stock from long term perspective i can say that it is a long ride the margins are at the mercy of the indian railways the company predominantly functions only to provide funding to the government their objective is not to earn a profit so it is going to be a long ride whether it becomes a bumpy ride that depends upon how the company performs and how the railway sector as as it is performs yeah even i my recommendation also would be like for long term investors to wait for certain quarters before making any move i mean okay you can put your money to get listing gains but even listing gains don't look that good like we we are kind of used to those uh, 70 80% listing gains on the first day so this is a company which is not going to give you that and from a long term perspective i like to look at the purchasing power of a company which is it's not there i mean they don't get to decide the margins you know like we discussed the margins are actually falling and also when the government gets into the private sector 
and if the private sector grows in the years to come this could actually be a deterrent for the company so i would say you could keep the company on your watch list if the company falls by a very big margin then there is a i, I think there's a value opportunity here but at this point at this moment i would just say you know just keep it on your watch list and probably there are better companies that you can put your money in so and uh, that's it for today's episode uh, rishab once again thank you for coming on the show and it's going to be a busy week i mean two more ipos are coming up so let's uh, gear on for that thank you for having me and hope the listeners are as excited as we are covering these stocks definitely and people on the show may have certain recommendations to buy or sell but don't buy or sell based on what you hear you can reach out to us at the bazaar podcast at gmail.com let us know what you think of the show let us know the companies that you want us to cover any any feedback is going to help us you know it feels really good when people reach out to you and let you know that you know what are the improvements you can make and what you like about this podcast and if you like this podcast please share it with your friends you know we want to reach out to as many people as we can so keep making money keep investing we'll see you next week